Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Lickin' on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update providing up-to-the-minute information on interest rates, loan programs, and hot industry news relating to the mortgage industry. Brought to you by Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. To participate in today's program, our guest call-in line is 646-716-4972. And now, here is your host of Lickin' on Lending, David Lickin'. Good to have you with us, everybody. We are excited to have you by a part of the broadcast. Had to switch microphones just as we were starting the broadcast. Don't know about that other line. But anyway, it's good to have you with us. It is Monday, June 29th, and uh, we've got a really important broadcast. We'd like to think every one of our broadcasts are really important. But we've got Mitch Kider back with us, no stranger to the broadcast, and certainly an industry icon within the industry when it comes to regulatory and litigation related to the regulatory environment. And so we're going to get an update, both on the regulatory side of it, but more with an angle of what's going on with litigation. I've invited Mitch to the broadcast actually a couple, two, three weeks ago, and he says, Dave, could we do it on the 29th because I'll have some things I'll have worked on that I'll be able to talk about more candidly and open on the broadcast at that point. So he's been defending uh, on a major case. We're going to have some insights into that. Again, he can't speak about all aspects of it, but he'll be definitely give us an insight into the climate of it. So we're real honored and ha- fortunate to have Mitch Kider joining us again on the broadcast. Again, this broadcast is created by mortgage professionals for mortgage professionals, and we're the proud recipient of the Innovation Award. We're honored by having that. Also, a special thank you goes out to United Guarantee, who is our sponsor, one of our sponsors on this broadcast. And uh, we have them talking about really comparing private mortgage insurance to FHA insurance. And you start looking at how FHA uh, cuts rates in January. You know, even considering that, United Guarantee's mortgage insurance premiums for most products and borrowers remain more competitive than even FHA's. And that, again, is after the cut and with their premium performance plan or the performance premium based risk-based pricing plan you can be assured that you're getting the appropriate rate for each loan's individual risk profile it's, it's a really unique way to how they've done the risk profiling on it also you will uh, need to know that you don't have to worry about locking in the borrower into an mip for a life alone the borrower can have a paid borrower paid mortgage insurance uh, option as well as there's other things and they can cancel it can be canceled automatically when their loan's ltv reaches 78 percent Another advantage, I mean, I tell you, you got to get a hold of your United Guarantee representative to find about all the options that are available. They're very innovative. They're number one in the industry, and it's because of, for this fourth, sixth consecutive year, it's because of these kind of innovations they're putting to work on your behalf. Get a hold of your local your local representative from United Guarantee. Mortgage insurance underwritten by United Guarantee Residential Insurance Company. Appreciate you guys at UG for being there for with us, again, for all this time, and and we hope to have you for a long, long time. Velma, virtual electronic marketing assistant, is your dedicated to helping you, is there dedicated to help you building a stronger and more profitable relationships. And then I love this part of it. They have it a set it and forget it kind of auto campaign. Well, you never forget it because they remind you of it, and they're in there working and helping you tweak your message to get the message really refined so it hits the mark. They've got some great metrics for measuring the success of your email campaigns. Check it out at Velma.com, www.velma.com. Also, a special thank you always goes out to our regular contributors to the broadcast, Alice, Joe, and Andy. 
And let's start off with Joe Farr. Interesting day with what's happening in Greece, my friend. And then looking at what would seem, Joe, as a fairly predictable response. We see a flight. I assume it's a flight to quality that's driving uh, rates lower right at the moment. Bombs well, it is, Dave. It, you know, it's kind of classic. We got uh, safe assets improving. The ten-year yields are down a, a, a good bit. MBS prices are up. Mortgage rates are down, and the stock market's down. So, stock market's down a couple hundred points. Um, yeah. And all this happened uh, over the uh, due to events over the weekend in Greece. We uh, MBS prices this morning at uh, first prices we got uh, at eight o'clock were up sixteen thirty seconds. So it's a uh, a big opening, and we've held pretty much steady there. We're currently up about uh, uh, 17, 30 seconds, so uh, not much movement since the open. Now, um, all this is, as I mentioned, is over the weekend, the news out of Greece, the, the negotiations failed. Uh, Greece has announced a referendum uh, on the subject of uh, austerity measures and and people are viewing this really as a referendum on do they stay in the euro uh, financial uh, currency or or do they get out? Right. And uh, so it's uh, going to be held on the the fifth, so it's uh, next Sunday. And uh, you know, until then, I don't know we've got much more movement in our markets as a result of what uh, is going on in Greece, but uh, yeah. Know, it's been a it's been a wild ride. Just looking back over the month of June, uh, the first part of the month was uh, the the whole month of June was bad for mortgage rates. First part I think was more due to the improving economic data, but then starting on about the tenth, we just saw a tremendous amount of volatility. Both uh, uh, MBS prices falling significantly, and then recovering and falling, and uh, uh, today we're recovering. Uh, so yeah, uh, it, it, uh, it's been a wild ride. The uh, economic data that came out today wasn't a big factor, but it was nice to see pending home sales uh, improve a little more than uh, – not quite as much as expected. And uh, it was also interesting to hear today Puerto Rico uh, uh, announced that they cannot pay its debts. It says uh, has nothing yeah, to do with Greece other that. than other than uh, Greece is basically uh, the cover for the, the story, I think. Uh, Greece has all the headlines going on right now. Uh, so – uh, last week it was more of the same. It was all about Greece, um, you know, rising expectations for a deal, kind of caused mortgage rates to to rise, MBS prices to fall toward the end of last week, and and as we saw, uh, those expectations were incorrect, and it and it reversed itself uh, today. The economic data that came out last week was uh, was mixed, although the housing data was really pretty good. Uh, new new and existing home sales were good. Uh, then we saw again today, pending home sales were pretty good as well. Last week, yeah. durable orders came out, and they were not as good as expected. In fact, they fell. Uh, a small drop in durable orders was expected. It, it fell more than expected. Uh, GDP, uh, first quarter GDP, the last look or the final revision, uh, came out improved over the last estimate yes. at uh, two, down two tenths. Wasn't surprised. Yeah, still still negative though. Still negative, uh, but still better. Not as negative as anticipated there for a while. Yeah. Core PCE indicated inflation still not a problem. Uh, annual annual rise of 1.2%, very far below the, the Fed's target. 
and consumer sentiment's improving. So, uh, you know, yeah. it's good to see. I think that's weighing in on, uh, I think, the results yeah. of strong jobs and, and, and making consumers feel better, and that's driving the housing pro- uh, activity. Yep. So looking at this week, it's a short week. We're off Friday. Uh, it's not an early close on Thursday like it often is ahead of uh, uh, a long weekend. Uh-huh. But uh, yeah. it'll be, it should be quiet Thursday afternoon anyway. Um, the economic data coming out, the jobs report comes out Thursday morning instead of Friday, mm-hmm. uh, obviously. And uh, the other big data this week is ISM uh, index comes out on Wednesday. So uh need to pay attention to those two times. Lots of good information coming out. Great resource to the industry. You have just one of the best websites, and I like the conciseness, which you, you go through this. And I know you ran through this quickly because you're as excited to get Mitch on the broadcast and talk about what is going on in the in the whole world of litigation. And, and so uh, we're excited to get him on. But and I just want to public acknowledge, you're the one that really introduced Mitch broad, to this broadcast. You heard him speak at one of the NBA. We knew of him, but you're the one boldly reached out and said, let me see if we can't get Mitch Kiter on. This was a number of years ago. I mean, yeah, four years well, ago, five years been ago. been a long-time long time friend and a, and a real valuable uh, person to have on our team when it came to yeah. banking issues. He sure has been, and I'm so excited to have him on. And, folks, we're we're going to have Mitch on just a little bit in the Hot Topic segment, so stay tuned all the way through. We've got in the batter's box right now, we've got our good friend Paul Mollo. He's back from vacation. I was pleasantly surprised he had time to dial in. We're going to have him on and then jump over to Alice Alvey. Folks, we're going to be right back after this brief break. Looking for that competitive edge? MBS Quoteland delivers live market coverage for originators. Get up-to-the-minute mortgage market news and analysis as events occur. Get MBS prices as trades happen. Straight to your computer, email, cell phone, or PDA. Know in advance when your investors will reprice. Make better lock float decisions and increase your income. Be the expert your clients expect and know what's moving interest rates right now, tomorrow, and beyond. MBS Quoteline, delivering live market coverage for originators. Learn more about MBS Quoteline today at MBS mbsquoteline.com mbsquoteline.com 646-716-4972 The Lickin' on Lending Show is back. Here is your host, David Lickin'. It's good to have you with us and back from vacation also is, I assume you were on vacation, Paul. Was it vacation that you were on? We were on vacation, Grand Canyon, Bryce Canyon. Oh. And a, and a little place called Las Vegas, which I'd never been to before. <laughs> I could talk about that for a half hour. Oh, uh, I, I tell you, between those two canyons, or some, especially if you, did you see it from the south side or the north side? North side was well, excellent. We saw it from the north side. It was less crowded. It was beautiful. Uh, yeah, hot, hot, very hot. But it's it's an amazing part of the country. And if if no one's ever oh. been there, who's listening, go see it someday. But go maybe uh, it. go in the fall when it's a little cooler. <laughs> I prefer the north side. Uh, for we had a family vacation there a number of years ago, and it's just—I don't think I'll ever do the south, the south side of the Grand Canyon again. I think it'll be always the north end, just so much prettier. But it's good to have you back, and I'm noticing what's going on. We've got Mitch on the broadcast, Mitch Kiter, and we're going to be talking about some breaking news. You may want to stay tuned because you'll want to write about it. Okay. That he's just been working on some lawsuits, so um, that he's going to be able to talk about, and he delayed coming out of the broadcast until today. 
so that he could talk about some fresh hot news. So if you could stay tuned to the hot topic segment, love sure. you. Have, you, have, you. I know you'll be writing about it. You're always up on the state scoop. And I, I tell everybody, folks, if you want someone who is on the pulse of what's happening now, or even just slightly before the pulse hits, I love that one ad where the the, the people, the the emergency people, are rolling up into the stadium and say, well, "What are you here for?" I said, "Well, you're about to have a heart attack. I'm going to tell you. I'm, I'm here to protect you." So that I mean, you, you're the one that tells us what's happening or about to happen. So give us a rundown on your website, www.imfnews.com. Great. Yeah. Thanks. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, there's some interesting stuff going on out there. Uh, this morning, Walter Investment Management, which owns Green Tree, pretty large servicer, mm-hmm. they adopted a poison pill language. Um, and this comes last week. Baker Street Capital, which is a hedge fund who I know little about and no one knows much about because their their website is very bare bones and they don't talk to the press generally. But, you know, they've accumulated a, a pretty large stake, 22.35%. And, you know, a lot of companies, you know, Sometimes they don't mind people buying their shares because it drives up the price. But Walter came out and, and put some new language out there, which which prevents anyone from you know acquiring much much more than twenty percent, uh, and to which is a little late because you know Baker's already you know got twenty two point three five percent, but they can't really increase that stake much uh, unless they pay a, a pretty big premium, and that's and that's sort of the long and short of it. Walter, as everyone knows, has been in the headlines because of the regulatory woes. Their stock got smacked around pretty good earlier in the year. It's sort of halfway between its high and its low. And it's, you know, some analysts have turned negative on the company, and others believe it's a good time to buy because its, it's share price is way down, probably below liquidation value. So just an interesting development uh, in that company's uh, history. Uh, we, we crunched some numbers, uh, securitization of VA jumbo loans, is on the rise. That's no surprise as we've been writing all along. VA loan volumes are pretty robust these days. Uh, and the big attraction for, you know, a lot of lenders is, is the fact, and borrowers, is VA loans, no down payment. Uh, yeah. Of course, you have to be a member of the military or, you know, have one of those, uh, um, I guess, check off one of those boxes, which allows you to get a VA loan. I think, I think children of of uh, veterans and active military. Veterans have the ability. Yeah, yeah. I'm not, I'm not sure of the details. But uh, that's a big draw for the VA program, especially with home prices going up so much, and the down payment is obviously a big issue. Uh, also, another data story about bank holdings of non-agency MBS dwindle. Uh, that's not surprising. Um, you know, it, it's almost like non-prime MBS, or you know, like the um, you know the bald eagle. Uh, <laughs> you know, there's not much of that stuff left, and and this sort of dovetails into, you know, what is the future of companies? That have been, you know, their their game plan is to service delinquent loans, fix up delinquent loans, by you know beating down subprime MBS. And let's face it, folks, that business is is going away. And uh, and there was another company we're going to get more into next week. Um, uh, Wingspan is recently closed their yeah. Florida operation. They were built to you know service trouble loans, and they're 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 struggling to get more contracts. That's not part of today's daily, but we've written about that recently as well. Uh, Prospect Mortgage, by the way, another new story today. Yep. Um, this actually came out on Friday. They bought the call center operation of CapWest Mortgage. We don't know how much in loans CapWest was producing, but it's a call center M&A deal, so we threw that on the website. Uh, also, a, a tally on what's going on with Quicken. They got, um, I guess they got uh, faced with sanctions from Washington State for deceptive and misleading ads on VA loans. They claim everything's kosher and they're they're trying to fix the problem and and uh, they deny the charges. Uh, in the short take section, we we sort of. Um, 
go out there and look at uh, what's going on with Fannie and Freddie's. Their earnings for the second quarter are coming up. Rates have risen, and they took some big hedging hits because of uh, falling rates. Now rates have gone up, so we're speculating that they could uh, could turn in a pretty good second quarter. Uh, you know, G fees are high. Uh, second quarter loan bonds were decent, so we get into that a little bit. Uh, and we had some uh, personnel news there as well, Mortgage Network and uh, Ellie May are hiring a bit. So uh, that's sort of the long and short of it today, David. So it's good to be back. Well, that's a good stuff. Always a great resource to the industry and staying on top of things, Paul. It's good to have you back for vacation, my friend, and Thank good you. to have you back on the broadcast. So, uh, listeners, check it out at com. I appreciate you, Paul. Have a great rest of the day. Thank Let's you. shift over Another one person returning from vacation, our beloved Alice Alvey. The, you know, you always bring us the, the news that we don't always want to hear, but you do it in such a pleasant way, Alice. Good to have you back from Alaska. How was that up there? Is it just, it's just stunningly beautiful. I've been up there. It's just, what do you say? So oh, we, we went off. My husband and I went off into some very remote areas down the Kenai Peninsula uh, for uh, sockeye salmon fishing. It was awesome. And then... <sighs> Uh, kayaking by the glaciers and all that fun stuff. So, yeah, it was great. Thank you. Uh, oh, kayaking by the glaciers. <laughs> we we actually water skied in there with dry suits one time uh, just to be crazy when we were young and stupid. So, anyway, it's fun. It's beautiful country. stunning beautiful. But it's back to reality, Alice, so bring us your uh, reality. I know. Have you had a chance to give us uh, look at things much or uh, you yeah, just, yeah. you're still well, landing from vacation? <laughs> right. Well, it's a little hard to jump back in, but I wanted to give everybody three quick heads up. As I know we want to have plenty of time for Mitch Kiter later on in the show. Yes. Uh, so the the quick heads up are a couple of cases that have just recently come out um, in terms of the Bank Secrecy Act and anti-money laundering. I know a lot of times we look at the, isn't this a big bank regulation? Um, but the uh, regulators are out there definitely showing their muscle on we all need to, especially as lenders, need to pay attention to this. Um, uh, we've done several AML audits for clients, and we're finding that, you know, they, they've given somebody a bank training deck that has one slide about mortgages in it and does nothing but talk about when the law was made and, you know, stuff that's completely unimportant and unusable in your day-to-day uh, transactions for what people need to know about watching for AML and in terms of uh, am I having any kind of fraud risk that needs to potentially be reported to my compliance officer and really have a process about, you know, identifying challenges uh, within your uh, within your loans and that things really do roll up from the front lines to the compliance officer and the compliance officer makes an assessment and then is there documentation to support that analysis of too many companies think it's just about filing a SAR but ultimately there's much more than that uh, to make sure that you're having the proper detection and assessment way ahead of the actual filing of the SAR. So Heads up on that. There are some cases you need to take a look at your programs and make sure uh, you may not have ever had the file SR, but you certainly should have that the staff has reported incidences uh, to the compliance officer for assessment. So that's my tip for the day on that one. Um, the consumer complaints are now public at the CFPB website. So if you are not aware of what this means, go ahead and take a look. Take a look at how these complaints are going to appear. Uh, certainly mortgage business is a very big in the forefront at the CFPB uh, comment page and the uh, public comments that appear out there 
and complaints, and you want to make sure that you understand what are some of the possibilities of what people are, what's appearing, and maybe it's not about your company, but you need to have a plan in place for how would you react if it was your company, and really right. start to make sure you're prepared in advance, you're not waiting to see that the comment hits your desk, um, and the customer is now, you know, you're being tried in a public forum about a, a p- personal comment opinion uh, filed by a consumer, and there's really a lot of story behind it. So be aware that is now posted. Your compliance people need to be on it. Last but not least is the Supreme Court's uh, disparate impact decision. I, I'm not sure if that's on Mitch's agenda to talk a little bit about, but it is. Um, for me, it is a very big deal. Uh, it is something that has long standing been a challenge for lenders to uh, try and identify because it's almost like the so I always use this phrase, it's like the water's over the dam before you knew it went over the dam <laughs> when it comes to, yeah. uh, you know, fair lending uh, and trying to look backwards uh, statistically. And then, of course, as your practices, what did you mean to do and what, what happened uh, inadvertently? And so I'm glad Mitchell talk about that. But with the Supreme Court making this ruling, uh, you now do need to be very well aware of how maybe exceptions to your policies can cause problems or uh, issues with disparities. Impact. So I'll, I'll save that this, the question for uh, conversation for when Mitch is on the show. And I uh, just want to make sure everyone saw those important things go through since we have a little more breathing room on tread. Um, we do see a lot of people who are sleeping a little bit better at night. <laughs> at least now they have, yeah, for you know, sure. yeah. <laughs> their plans might Short not be time. completely back on track, but um, well, at least they're, uh, they know they're not imminent failure uh, within 30 days here. So yeah. back to you, Dave, yeah. and uh, look forward to talking Good. To so good to have you back, Alice, and we appreciate yeah. you so much. And uh, it's nothing like having you bring us the reality every week, so good <laughs> to have you here with us. Right. <laughs> the reality check, yeah. yeah. <laughs> One person wrote me out there and said, where's the reality check? Is she on vacation? And so anyway, <laughs> I, I had one person refer to that. Good to have you back, folks. We're going to be right back with Sam Garcia and then a quick update on uh, the Profit Doctor's activities. And we're getting right into the no, Profit Doctor's cannot talk to us, but he's, we're going to tell him what he's up to, though. Wouldn't that be interesting? Stay tuned. We'll be right back after this brief break. If you have questions about mortgage regulations, Indicom Mortgage U has free answers. If you need ideas about how to reinvent your organization, Indicom Mortgage U will share great ideas. When you need help at any step of the loan process, give us a call or send an email. The Indicom team of experts have been helping mortgage players from origination through servicing for over 30 years. Your success is our focus. Whether it's a quick question or long-term support, portfolio, conventional, or government lending, it's a competitive market. So let Indicom Mortgage U give you the edge. Ah, it's so good to have you with us, everyone. Someone just shot me a note. Says, "Look, and I really love this broadcast. You get a lot covered in a short amount of time, and uh, and so thank you, listeners, for the compliments you keep pouring in, and so uh, appreciate it." Charles, a lot of people really interested. You ought to see the switchboard loaded up big time. The fact that we have Mitch back on the broadcast. Um, let's get in over to our friend Sam Garcia. He just sent me an update on some of the things. I'm also got his website up here. But Sam, good to have you here. Uh, give us a rundown on some of the stories that you're tracking over there at your website, www.mortgagedaily.com. What you got, my friend? Hey, David. Thanks for having me on. Uh, we reported on EnterThinks' uh, Mortgage Fraud Risk Index, and basically the index was down last year compared to a year before. 
Um, Enter thinks class are characterized the latest index level as nominal as far as the risk of fraud goes. But it did note in the report that the risk of occupancy fraud and valuation fraud remains elevated. Freddie Mac uh, reported its activity for May, and it said that it had more than $37 billion in purchases and issuances. Um, that was up 2% for the month, and more importantly, it was up uh, more than any month since July 2013. Um, and on the other side of that, delinquency, 90-day delinquency, fell to the lowest level since November 2008. Um, Freddie also put out its uh, economic outlook, and it predicted that there will be uh, $400 billion in second mortgage originations, or I'm sorry, second quarter originations. Um, and it turns out that that particular quarter, the one we're in now that's about to end, will be higher than any quarter last year, this year, or next year based on mm. uh, the forecast. So that's it. We're at a peak right now. Uh, Flagstar re uh, reported last week that it hired a new mortgage chief. Uh, Leonard Israel was hired to head up the well, division. Leonard's there. Is that yeah, where Leonard ended up? Oh, good. Yeah, yeah. He's got three decades in the business, uh, including time at and City Mortgage and IndyMac. Uh, delinquency was reported last week uh, at 6.45%, and that's that's the non-current rate, including foreclosures and bankruptcies. That was actually 17 basis points worse uh, than a month earlier, and the the deterioration was concentrated on the 30-day rate, excluding foreclosures, so basically newer uh, delinquency. Um, banks also reported their performance data. The OCC put out its mortgage metrics report. Uh, the 30-day delinquency rate on loans serviced by banks, or first mortgages serviced by banks, including foreclosures and bankruptcies, actually fell 10% in the first quarter from the fourth quarter uh, to 5.8%. Um, new foreclosure filings were up in that report, even though repossessions and the foreclosure rate was down. And finally, uh, we reported that there was a, uh, a former bank CEO and CFO over at Bank of Oswego in Oregon. Uh, Oswego. They were arrested. Oswego. Oswego. Yes. Okay, thank you. <laughs> they were arrested <laughs> on Friday, and they're accused of hiding the level of bad loans from their board of directors Ooh. and the FDIC. So, uh, and that, that's it, man. That's our uh, that's, that's our just, lineup. That's amazing that people are still doing that kind of stupidity. That's that's amazing. Well, yes, last, we have family live there, and they called me about that story. So, Lake Oswego, uh, Oregon, really interesting, amazing. But I'd love to know who those executives were and some of that news. On I know I don't, we don't need to get into it. But Sam Garcia, thank you so much. I got a nice compliment to you from our good friend there, another fellow Dallas uh, Dallasite, uh, Jack Nunnery, who listens to this broadcast, said, you know, I really enjoy Sam, some of Sam's information and some of the information he brought out. He says, I love the lineup. You know, when you have two contributors, people doing the news, you and Paul, it, it, he said it's a really a good compliment. He was really – was was – emailed me right after the broadcast, probably during the broadcast, about uh, some of the things you brought out last week. So, I mean, you get noticed out there, friend. It's good to have you here and some of the statistics and information you bring out. So shout out to Jack and our friends there at the TCB Warehouse Facility. They do a great job as well. It's nice to know that they're listeners of the broadcast. But well, that's good feedback, and you did a good job of uh, lining up everybody. I mean, you've really got a lot of good people on the show. So thanks for having me on. Well, 
yeah, well, they, they say find something you love to do and you never work another day in your life. I love doing this. It's something fun, and I enjoy the people, and I respect the people, and that's what just means everything. So, my friend, good to talk to you. Go check out Sam Garcia's information, his website, www.mortgagedaily.com, or you can reach Sam on his phone by calling him 214-521-1300. Good to have you, Sam. And hey, hope Dave, you stay here. tuned for the rest of yeah, say, Andy, you're there. Good, good. I wanted to make sure we jump over to you, because I know you're. You know, I, I recently my wife's having to consider some surgery, so we're in the doctor's office. And I thought of you as I saw this doctor running up down the hallways, going to every exam room, and uh, and and was busily doing that. And I know you're on site, and you got your lab coat on, your you know, doctor coat on. So <laughs> you got to share us a couple of quick hellos, and uh, you're helping companies that are doing well do even better. So. Well, the Dave, the point I wanted to make real, real quick, just the one, one quick point I wanted to make. You know, we, we've got Joe talking about, oh my gosh, the markets are volatile. What about Greece? And Mitch is going to come on and tell us about these fair lending things. And Al's is talking about disparate impact. And it's like, <laughs> oh my gosh, what's next? And I wanted, to, I wanted to remind everybody, mortgage banking is an amazing business. We get to fulfill yes. dreams of home ownership for thousands and thousands of Americans around the country. And that's, that's just that is an amazing privilege in and of itself. And then besides that, and despite all this regulatory stuff, mortgage lending is amazingly profitable. We've got our our good friend um, who's just in the news. You know, Movement Mortgage is doing very well. Yeah. We've got companies all across the country who are just nailing it, doing it well. From a return yeah. on investment perspective, we've got mortgage companies that are hitting fifty, sixty, seventy percent ROI or in a banking world, ROE, return on equity. So it's an amazing business. It's a profitable business. It's now becoming even more highly regulated, so do it right the first time. But as you do it right <laughs> the first time, you can you can just be a great service to the economy as a whole, a great service to individuals getting them into homes, and a very profitable business line for your investors. So there you go, Dave. A little bit of Got it. Sunniness. Bright sunniness amidst some of the uh, storm clouds that are rolling across the landscape. Well, I know you've got your patient rooms full, but you're going to be participating in the broadcast or the segment with Mitch here in just a minute. So it's good to have you on the broadcast. Good to have all of you all. We're, as they say here in Texas, good to have all you all with us. <laughs> I love that expression. Not from Texas, but I adopted that one. So anyway, we're going to be right back with uh, Mitch Kreider as our hot topic guest is right after this brief break. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Mortgage Banking Solutions is the preeminent management consulting firm to the residential mortgage lending industry. No other firm in the U.S. offers the menu of services or the level of expertise to the industry. If you're looking for help converting from best efforts to hedging or need help with bookkeeping to know your profit per loan, if you are interested in making the transition from broker to banker, or if you just need a roadmap for success, Mortgage Banking Solutions' primary focus is to enable executives to take their business to the next level and guide them down a path towards success and profitability. With over 300 Combined years of experience in all facets of mortgage lending, the Mortgage Banking Solutions team of professionals has the expertise and know-how to help you accomplish your goals. New warehouse lines of credit, broker-to-banker transitions, transitioning to hedging, financial and accounting services, or meeting your capitalization needs. If you need help with these or any other aspects of your business, please contact a Mortgage Banking Solutions sales team to see how we can help you at 512-977-9900. It's 512-977-9900. Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. 
Good to have you back with us, everybody. Uh, Mitch Kider is no stranger to this broadcast and absolutely no stranger to this industry. He is one of the champions warriors on behalf of this industry. He is the chairman and managing partner at Wiener Brodsky Kider PC there in Washington, D.C. We have had Mitch on numerous times. He's a friend of the broadcast, a friend of us, and uh, again, I thank Joe for introducing us so many, many years ago. Uh, it's, Mitch was such one of those guys that when you walk up to him, you go, yeah, well, you, you want to call him? I want to call him. I mean, he, he's a bit of a celebrity, but here's one of the reasons I am such become such an avid Mitch Kider fan. I told this, and people say, you've told this several times, eh? but it, for those of you not heard the story, it bears repeating. We had some clients that were receiving letters from an attorney that were just false. They were rep, this attorney was representing that he was writing all their clients that gotten information, and they were writing letters to their clients saying, uh, you know, your, your mortgage lender is under a um, is in a class action suit you need to join this suit call this number and we'll tell you whether or not you sh- could get your loan possibly forgiven so, i mean it was just lunch a bunk it was a marketing scheme and uh so our clients i got over calls 911 calls as i referred to it over the weekend uh, this is a number of years ago and so i called mitch and he says give me the name of that give me for me that letter i hate this stuff he took this on pro bono folks and went after this firm and drove them out of business and I tell you, that kind of advocacy, that kind of fighting for the cause, didn't get paid a dime for that. But that's why I have Mitch Kider on this. There's many good for attorneys out there, no question about it. But I want, when I'm in battle, I want a street fighter with me. So Mitch is a gentleman. He's a scholar. He does not go to litigation first, but he is all about winning and fighting for our behalf. Mitch Kider, I'm so glad to have you back on the broadcast. It's an honor, my friend. Great to be here with you, Dave, and thank you for that wonderful introduction. Well, the reality is, is you are a champion of our industry. You're respected, and I think it's because you you're, you're all about doing what's right and trying to get this thing. And what is right right now? You look at what this industry is, and so I really want to start off the broadcast by giving an assessment. You've been in this industry over three decades, and you have watched the climate change so much. So for those that are new to the industry or they would love I think our listeners would benefit from saying on a macro basis how far has the pendulum swung and what is the prospects of it coming back Well that's a great question you know and I have been doing this for a long time for 34 years now and I think that the uh, pendulum has swung so so far over that it has to come back, but it's going to come back as a result of court actions. It's going to come back as a result of litigation. Unfortunately, it's not going to come back, at least not within the next two years or so, as a result of regulators simply recognizing what they're doing. I mean, the reality, Dave, is that the regulatory and litigation environment today has never, ever before been as hostile as it is. That's the truth of the matter, and that hostility is being brought primarily by government agencies, either by the Department of Justice with False Claims Act lawsuits along with HUD, or by the CFPB and new interpretations of 40-year-old statutes that have never been viewed through the same eyes. It's, it's, It's astounding to see that. Like one person said, the pendulum swung so far that I think the grandfather clock is falling over, and we're going to have to reset it in a new position to get it back and swinging in the right way. You have a great blog, I mean, a newsletter you put out, Special Alert. You put one out last week, and it was titled, U.S. Supreme Uphold Desperate Impact Liability Under Fair Housing Act. And Alice referenced it. And I, first of all, I want to tell people, how can people sign up for your, your newsletter and get your alerts? 
They need to. So give us that and talk about that. Just just send an email over. Just send it over to me, kiter at the WBSKfirm.com, and I'd be happy to put you on our uh, news mail, uh, on, on our newsletter alert system, and you'll get it at least once a week. Uh, yeah. Disparate impact is a big issue, and the Supreme Court, you know, has wanted to hear a disparate impact case for a long time. This is the uh, third case to come up before the court, but the first one to go all the way through a decision. And I think a lot of people in the industry are a little surprised by what the court did. But what the court did was say, you know, in a five to four vote, and Justice Kennedy being the swing vote over here, uh, the court concluded that disparate impact is applicable under the Fair Housing Act itself. And that has broad implications for everyone in this industry and for your business practices. I want to get Alice in on that because she talked about it in her segment about the desperate impact. And then I want to head over to RESPA, but I'm going to let Alice do that. Alice, good to have you back. Go for it. Hi, Mitch. Great to have you on the show. So, um, so you know, it, does it change anything? I mean, in, in reality, the Supreme Court upheld what we, what many lenders have been following. What would you recommend people do differently if there's anything they need to do differently now? Well, you know, disparate impact has been imposed by regulators under the Fair Housing Act for quite some time now, and HUD has a rule under the Fair Housing Act that governs uh, an analysis on disparate impact. The manner in which it typically works is it's a statistical analysis. If Even if you have a completely facially neutral uh, business rule, it applies to everyone and it applies to everyone the same. Anyone that walks in the door, that rule simply applies. But if statistically it impacts one protected group over others, then you potentially have a disparate impact. And and you have to have a very good business reason for anything that you do. For your underwriting overlays, uh, you need to have a an airtight business reason for it because otherwise, if it in fact uh, impacts a minority group or one group over another group, uh, the claim there's going to be a prima facie case of disparate impact, meaning that, in fact, it had discriminatory effect. You have the ability to come back and say, no, 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 I had to do this. There was a very legitimate business reason for it. I couldn't make a loan, for example, to someone with a uh, 350 FICO score or something along those particular lines. But, but whoever is bringing the claim has the benefit of hindsight and saying, well, you know what, we understand that, but here are less discriminatory things you could have done instead. And that's really problematic because you will always be second-guessed. I want to get over to Alice, over to the RESPA enforcement, but I wanted, noticing in the press release that it was a decision, a split decision, a five to four. Is there any significance about the vote that went on when it was that close? Well, you know, ultimately, even when it's five to four, Dave, it, it becomes the law of the land. Right. And uh, the reality is it's going to stay that way forever. It was a close vote. I mean, the reality is is a textual argument. The Fair Housing Act, in its specific language, does not have remedies for and does not anticipate that, that in fact, disparate impact claims will be brought. But five people on the court disagreed. They thought that Congress had sufficient knowledge of uh, disparate impact under, underneath, uh, you know, under that particular act, and had right. agreed and approved to that. And 
That's basically the law of the land. Five four nine it's, zero doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter. <laughs> so good point. Alice, back to you on the RESPA enforcement. So, uh, so Mitch, what are you hearing today in terms of uh, RESPA enforcement out there today? You know, as we're coming up on the TILA RESPA, I'm assuming that was what the, we were kind of gearing towards uh, for the, uh, you know, the change in the implementation date for TRID. Um, do we see that this is going to be, you know, something the CFPB is going after right now ahead of this? And do, what are we looking at um, in terms of TRID enforcement uh, in the early parts of the game? So there are a couple things. Let's start off with the TRID enforcement. I mean, the CFPB has now proposed a delay of the TRID rule until October 3rd. And I think that, you know, the industry has to recognize that given more time to get this together, they better come out of the block on October 3rd with their best foot forward. Compliance is going to be very important. And my guess is that the CFPB uh, is not going to be inclined to hold back on enforcement as they were and as they stated they were uh, inclined to do uh, when the rule was going to take effect in August. Uh, some leniency may be on some close, questionable calls itself, but otherwise the reality is RESPA enforcement and TRID enforcement is going to move forward, and the agency uh, and the industry has some more time to uh, to adjust to the changes that TRID is calling for and make sure that, in fact, they can get it right on, on October 3rd. Having said that, though, I will tell you, RESPA enforcement in general, especially Section 8 of RESPA, the anti-kickback and anti-referral fee provisions of RESPA, is a number one priority of the CFPB. And you can see that through a number of their actions. You can see that in the Lighthouse title consent order that dealt with uh, marketing services agreements. You can see it in the case in which I represented PHH on captive reinsurance and the position that's made by, maintained by the CFPB. These are new. Uh, to call it unique would be an understatement, but these are absolutely <laughs> new, uh, never-before-heard-of interpretations of Section 8 of RESPA that the CFPB is putting forward. Could you give us a little insights into those two cases? Sorry, jumping in here again, Alice, but insights into these two cases, specifically the Lighthouse uh, consent order, and then also uh, to the extent that you can talk about the PHH action, you were in there directly defending them and working with them on it. So I'd love to get some insights into some of the nitty-gritty of that uh, to give our in, our listeners to, uh, some idea to when you say unique approach, to say the least – a novel and unique is what you put in your notes to me. I would love to get some insights. So what is novel to you and some of the unique aspects of those two cases? Sure, and most people don't recognize that the approach maintained by the CFPB is pretty much the same in both of those cases. So Lighthouse Title uh, had entered into a number <clears throat> excuse me, of marketing service agreements with, with other parties, and the CFPB obviously conducted an investigation and took a look at those particular agreements which resulted yep. in a uh, consent order that was agreed upon between the CFPB and Lighthouse Title. And, and the first part of the consent order wasn't anything of a big surprise. It basically you know, said if you're going to have a marketing service agreement with someone else, it, you're going to apply it to the general public, the marketing that's done, and not just marketing to specific customers of the party that's providing those particular right. services since they, in fact, are a settlement service provider, things of that sort. But then it went on. There were two fascinating paragraphs, paragraph 20 and paragraph 21 of that particular consent order. Paragraph 20 said, 
even if you're paying the fair market value for the marketing services that are being provided, you are still giving that party that's providing those services a thing of value by giving them a contract to provide marketing services whereby they can get paid. The contract alone is a thing of value is what that order says. And then paragraph 21 says, and remember, if you're giving them something of value, you can't get referrals back in exchange for that because that's what Section 8 of 8A of RESPA says. No one shall give, right. no one shall receive a thing of value in exchange for an agreement to refer settlement service business. So a lot of people at first took a look at the Lighthouse Agreement and said, ah, it looks like the facts were very bad over here and it doesn't apply to anyone else there. But the position that the CFPB maintained in Lighthouse is this. It's okay to have a marketing service agreement, but you can't get referrals. Because if you have a referral arrangement, the CFPB says we're not going to look at Section HC2 of RESPA, the exception that says that you can pay someone bona fide salary or compensation for the services they render to you or any other payment for goods or facilities. The structure of RESPA for 40 years has been interpreted the same and mm -hmm. in its writing, it hasn't changed either. The statute hasn't changed, and quite frankly, the regulations have not changed since at least 1992. And it said, 8A and 8B are your anti-kickback, anti-referral fee provisions, anti-split right. of a settlement service fee. But Section 8C provided the exemptions. And 8C2 said, notwithstanding what 8A or 8B says, you still can pay the reasonable value of goods or facilities that are provided or bona fide compensation for services that are rendered. The unique and novel and really problematic approach that the CFPB is taking as they first led us on to in the Lighthouse title consent order and certainly spelled it out in great detail in the PHH case is HC2, they say, is irrelevant. And that, that I'm using wow. the words of the director of the CFPB in his decision. He says if there is a referral arrangement, if there is a referral, then HC2 does not even come into play. It does not apply whatsoever. You can't pay them for goods or services or anything else. You can't otherwise do business with someone that is referring business to you. And that, that ignores 40 years worth of interpretations yes. Yeah, it ignores the policy it's, statements. Uh, that, yeah, 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 it's one of those things you're astounded by that someone just texted me and says, Dave, how does this change some of the marketing relationships that I have going right now that, that are out there between the you know the realtors and the mortgage companies and how they have the, the some of those things? Does this impact have any impact towards that or implications towards that? It does. It calls everything into question. It impacts thought. virtually every arrangement that lenders may have with any third parties. It absolutely calls everything into question because what they're saying is, effectively, you cannot do business otherwise with someone, even if you're just paying fair market value for services or they're paying you fair market value for services. You can't do that if, in fact, they're also referring business to you. And that becomes very, very problematic. Not to mention the fact 
that it's contrary to the exact language of their rule. If you go into the rule, Regulation X, that governs uh, RESPA itself, there's actually a provision in there that says referrals are not compensable except under the following circumstances, and then goes on to say that you can, in fact, pay the reasonable value for goods or facilities or compensate someone for services that are rendered. The only thing I wish is that you were the one in the Supreme Court arguing on behalf of the industry on that one. So uh, it's pretty amazing. PHH, touch on that briefly, and then I'm tossing the phone over to Joe for a real quick thing on the Department of Justice. So, you know, give us the, the flavor on the PHH. Well, the director's decision on PHH was just that. First of all, they're talking about practices that ended back in 2009. They're talking about a company oh. that had a captive reinsurance company. Now, the CFPB that issue, came okay. in, and, yeah, and they said, we can go back and we can, we can investigate this. And what he held ultimately was just this. They said, listen, a, a mortgage company is making referrals to a primary insurer, to a, to a mortgage insurance company. They have a captive over there. So the director says, I'm not even going to look to see whether or not it was reasonable compensation. The amount of the premium that was ceded to the captive reinsurance was the right amount for insurance. Because had he looked at it, he would have seen that it was, in fact, the right amount. There was no problem there. But he said HC2 doesn't apply. And that's what the PHH case is all about. And now the uh, the United States Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia is ultimately going to decide that case. Well, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to see how this all goes. <laughs> There's so much here, a lot of questions about it. But let's, uh, Joe, let's go into some of the Department of Justice stuff. Go ahead. Well, with people coming at the at the mortgage industry from all areas, uh, none seem more aggressive than the Department of Justice and. Uh, Mitch, you mentioned uh, uh, the pendulum swinging, but not for a couple of years. I, I, I'm assuming that, that that is because it's a very political environment, and uh, that's unlikely to change under the current administration. So what is it that you're seeing the Justice uh, – is the Justice Department unusually aggressive right now, and, and, and what's motivating that? Well, the Justice Department is absolutely unusually aggressive right now. Personally, I think it's motivated by politics, and that is one of the reasons why I think you're not going to see that change dramatically over the next couple of years. The Justice Department is pursuing FHA lenders almost on a wholesale basis under the False Claims Act. Hmm. Now, the False Claims Act goes all the way back to the Civil War. It was an act uh, you know, it was enacted because defense contractors were ripping off the union. And so Congress passed an act that said that if you commit fraud or misrepresentation in the submiss submission to the government of a claim for payment, you're liable for treble damages itself. Obviously, it's now applied in virtually all industries and anyone that's doing business with the government. It's been applied in mortgage banking uh, for a long time. In fact, back in my days at HUD in the, uh, the mid-1980s, I used to work with the Justice Department on these particular cases. But the manner in which it was applied was very different than today. So what's happening today is the Justice Department, working together with HUD's Office of Inspector General, is pursuing lenders, not for fraud, not for misrepresentation, but for what they deem to be poor underwriting, for what they deem to be bad underwriting decisions and judgments themselves. And they're investigating them, threatening suits, in some cases filing lawsuits, saying loans that were improperly underwritten, 
which basically means they disagreed with the underwriting determination that was made. They say those violate HUD guidelines, and therefore, if a loan resulted in foreclosure and a claim to HUD, you're liable to us for treble damages. There are many, many investigations that are ongoing. There are a number of suits that have been filed. There are a number of settlements. Most of the large banks settled up for in astronomical numbers uh, over the last couple of years. Now they're moving into you know, the mid-range tier, smaller companies uh, themselves, and it becomes a little more problematic and a little more interesting because they're playing with companies that don't necessarily have those kinds of funds to just step up and say, okay, I will settle this particular case. So, yes, it's a very, very aggressive Justice Department, uh, you know, fed by the Office of Inspector General. My guess is that that you know, many of the program people at the Department of Housing and Urban Development would disagree with this because this is causing yeah, lenders wondering. to shy away from FHA lending. Well, you heard Jamie Diamond taking that position, and, and it yes. sounds like uh, Quicken is kind of taking a position that, uh, along similar lines. And um, it, it, is there still a document that that uh, used to be a CEO and CFO uh, of mortgage companies had to sign an annual certification to HUD that says nothing is wrong. That's correct. That's correct. There's still a document uh, on an annual basis when you uh, renew your ability to uh, provide FHA loans. You sign a document that, you know, theoretically says nothing that's wrong. The reality is the Justice Department has tried to, and HUD even on an administrative level, has gone back and looked at those uh, certifications and said, well, you know what, if you did not disclose quality control findings, if you didn't report your quality control findings, if you didn't disclose other state audits and investigations and things of that, that's a false certification in and of itself. Now, Justice has tried to maintain the position that that certification goes and is applicable in False Claims Act suits too. Not too many courts, if any, have in fact signed off on that. That's really an eligibility certification. But what really happens today, Joe, is most lenders will not simply sign that certification. They will press a button in FHA system that says, I cannot certify. And then they'll provide a disclosure listing out anything and everything that's ever occurred in the past year with the company, just to be sure <laughs> wow. that they will not get hit up with a false certification claim. Wow. <laughs> and then that almost, it, it, if you're if you're putting everything in there like that, what does that invite? Yeah. It, it invites a tremendous amount of scrutiny and, uh, yeah. and sometimes even worse. Sometimes it, it, it invites a situation where you may not get your FHA authority approved, but you really have no choice but to uh, be overly to do cautious that. Yeah. and, yeah, and, in exactly. fact, do exactly that. That's correct. Uh, Prophet Doctor, you want to jump in with any questions here? Oh, hey, Mitch. It's great to have you on the show. Hey. Well, I'm just I'm just sitting back going, oh my gosh, what, I'm a, I as a as a business owner, I own a mortgage company, and I've got all of these risks. How do how do I protect myself? What do I do? How do I mean? Simple bottom line, I'm I'm on the phone to Troy Garris. I'm on the phone to Mitch Kider. Say guys, look at everything and figure it out. 
what do you recommend mortgage owners do to address their risk under all of this changing landscape? Good question. So, you know, it's a great question, and it really comes down to, you know, compliance uh, being your absolute number one priority. I mean, first and foremost, you have to dot your I's and cross all of your T's. The unfortunate reality is that's not enough, because as you can see from what I just laid out at both the CFPB and the Department of Justice, these are changing interpretations. These things have not gone through notice and comment rulemaking. The industry was not put on notice that the CFPB suddenly believes that Section 8C2 doesn't apply. I mean, that just came out of, out of thin air. Uh, the industry wasn't put on notice that the Justice Department was going to make determinations that suddenly bad underwriting in their eyes is fraud or misrepresentation. That came out of thin air as well. So, the, you know, the only thing that you can do is, is, in fact, stay on top of all of the recent developments. You've got to go to the conferences. You've got to read all the publications yes. and the guys that were on your program today. You've got to listen to Licking on Lundy. You've got to listen to all the programs. <laughs> you've, got, you've got to stay on top of these things. You've got to read the newsletters because there's no other way of knowing what's going to happen in there. And, and the problem is now the, the compliance course, costs are enormous. They're Normous. tremendous, and, and it's impacting who can be in this business, who will be in this business, what types of loans they're going to do. And yet you've got to incur those costs, otherwise you can't survive anymore. You know, we've got Paul Mull exactly. still on the line, and I'm going to provide uh, their contact information as I turn on Paul's mic. And, Paul, if you want to come in and ask a question, I'd love to get one more question in, one more question from sure. you here. Uh, yeah, go ahead. Shoot. Thank you. Hey, Mitch. Yeah, interesting hey. stuff, especially that little thing you said about hitting the button and, and listing all the things that may have gone wrong in the the, the past year. That's got to that's got to scare a lot of people. But I'm just curious when PHH might might file their appeal. Has that been stated well, yet? P, no, PHH has already noticed their particular appeal, and uh, just uh, the other day they filed a motion to stay. Uh, the effects of the order that was taken. So that appeal is in full swing. We don't have a scheduling order yet, but we should be getting that very soon. So they filed a motion to stay. Okay. Good. Good. Thank well, you. we are out of time. I want to hey, love having David. Go ahead. Yes, sir. Real quick, I'd, I'd love I'd love Mitch to give us a a, a, a feel for the Quicken case and how significant yes. is it that Quicken yeah, is uh, go fighting there. against the the government. Well, I think it's great that Quicken took the approach that they did. I think it's really significant on a number of different levels. First of all, I think it was a smart move because it's obvious that Quicken was going to get sued anyway. And so, you know, by Quicken bringing the case, they got to bring it in the venue that's appropriate for them, and that is Federal District Court in Detroit. And and uh, and that's where that case should be brought. And they dictate the terms of the litigation. You know, the the government's case in Washington has been stayed pending the outcome uh, of the government's motion to dismiss Quicken's case in uh, in Detroit. So I think it's good, and I think they make all of the right points in their case. You know, they brought it under the APA, the Administrative Procedures Act, and and, and they did it uh, they did it properly. If nothing else, if nothing else, it brings light to the situation that we have in front of us right now and to the fact yes. that that pendulum has swung so far over mm -hmm. that it needs to come back, and that's a good thing. 
I was going to go there. Uh, kudos to Bill Emerson and Dan Gilbert for uh, taking the position they did, and it was wise. It was just good chess play in this very complicated chess game that's out there. Uh, folks, thank you. I mean, Mitch, thank you so much. Our folks that are listening here, there's so many people shooting questions. They, we could go another hour on that, but we just don't really have the time. So I want to say, if you want to get a hold of Mitch Kiter, the best thing for you to do is call him at his office, 202 six. Do I actually give you his direct line number? Is that okay, Mitch? Sure, absolutely. 202-557-3511. 202-557-3511. Or you can email him at Kider, K-I-D-E-R, at the WBKfirm.com. Mitch, it's such a good... It's just so good to have you back on the broadcast. We appreciate you for all that you're doing for our industry, and I look forward to having you back soon. Appreciate you, man. Thank you, Dave. That's great. You betcha. Listeners, we're going to start a new series of broadcasts to talk about technology next week. I look forward to having you back on. We're also going to be touching base, having a special broadcast with Logan Motoshami. We'll be on. We're going to do that tomorrow, touching base on what's going on in the markets. Very interesting discussion. Have a great week, everybody. Look forward to having you back here next week. This has been Lincoln on Lending, a weekly mortgage market update with your host, David Lincoln of Mortgage Banking Solutions, enabling executives to take their business to the next level. Today's guests were Joe Farr from MBS Line, Andy Shell of Mortgage Banking Solutions, and Alice Alvey, President CMB of Mortgage U. Come by next week and thank you for listening. 